Our Lord, uh, we thank you so much for your love, for your faithful, committed love that you don't ever let us go. Um, I pray that we would recognize the love, receive the love, and that we would line ourselves up so we could reflect that love to others like Nate gave those examples. Uh, Show us how we can follow, how we can truly be Christ followers, uh, how we can reflect you well to the world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for being able to be called your church. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Back in 2008, the highest paid athlete in the world was a man by the name of Tiger Woods. He was the best golfer in the world, and he was very marketable. Uh, He made over $100 million, and the vast majority of that was through lots of sponsorships. Um, If you follow sports, in 2009, it was a difficult year. He had a very highly publicized falling out, um, moral failures, and a lot of his sponsors dropped him. Some estimates say he lost over $30 million in those next two years due to just loss of sponsors. Uh, Now, why are we starting with that? Well, we're we're starting a new brand ambassador program for Beyond Church, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of a... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, No, we're, we're reading through Deuteronomy where God is choosing a people to wear his name, you know, be a brand ambassador for who he is, and he has very specific behavioral requirements. If you're going to be wearing me, wearing my brand, having my name to the nations, you're going to need to line up with who I am to reflect my character to the nations. So we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, The part that we're going to be reading today is a difficult chapter. It's chapter 28. If you don't have the books of, or the chapters of Deuteronomy memorized, uh, this is the part of the covenant that God is making with his people that says what will happen if they choose to follow the covenant and what will happen if they choose not to follow the covenant. Uh, The NIV, the the version that we read here, uh, labels this the blessings and the curses. And so we want to understand what does it mean for God to bless us and to bless them? What does it mean for God to curse them? Does he curse us? There's all sorts of questions. I was talking with the worship team, you know, as we were praying beforehand, kind of saying this chapter is going to open up a lot of questions, a lot of deep Uh, discussions, debates, um, go with it. Invite God to guide you as you explore uh, what I think is a difficult passage in uh, the Bible. But we're going to read it together, and I'm going to share some thoughts so that we can understand better God's blessing, and then also God's cursing on the back half. We're in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, I'm going to read through the first 14 verses, and this is the blessing part of if Israel, God's chosen people, chooses to go along with this covenant, Here's what they get. So I'm in Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse 1, all the way down to 14. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. 
Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the left or to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So this is just a over-the-top description of like a perfect utopia, right? You know, there's um, flowery language, uh, but my literature teacher told me it's like literary devices, you know, or this is speech to rhetorical devices that Moses is using in order to kind of explain or, or tell you the, the, the magnificence of this blessing. You know, one of them that you see oftentimes in the Hebrew Bible, it was even there last week, uh, something called a merism, where you take the extremes like the top and the bottom, meaning everything else in between. So like you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, meaning you'll be blessed everywhere, right? You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed always. You know, like, like Moses is using language to essentially say like, this is ideal. You'll have perfection. If you can follow this, everything will work for you. I think one of the questions that comes to our mind when we read a text like this, or even when we're singing some of those songs that we sang this morning, what we're asking for God's blessing is, well, how, how do we get this blessing? Like, is this still true today, right? If I were to follow what God's telling me in my life, can I expect God to the, just give me blessings? And these are not just kind of the spiritual blessings that I think sometimes we Christians say, like, oh, he gives us inner peace or he gives us, you know, a purpose or a contentment. I mean, he's talking about you're going to have crops, fruit of your womb, you're going to have kids, you know, your, your kneading trough will be blessed, you're going to have livestock, you know, it's like your enemies will be defeated. These are very tangible physical blessings. Uh, do we still get that? Like, 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 are we a part of this? Can I sign up for this? You know, one, one thing, a type of theology called the prosperity gospel is a type of belief that I've criticized here from the pulpit saying the Bible doesn't teach that. But prosperity gospel in its basic sense is, is the belief that if I do good or if I can prove to God that I'm worthy, he will bless me with material things, uh, like specifically money, but also healing, answered prayers. Um, I say that's not what the Bible teaches, and yet... Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, right? Like, what kind of blessings is this? What, can we expect anything from it? What are you trying to say, Brad? <laughs> you know, like, that's, I think, the questions that come to my mind and probably the questions that come to your mind when we read a passage over the top blessings. Here's how I want us to understand the type of blessings. When you read through this, can you see the pattern of blessing or rather the promise of blessing? So the blessings that Moses is saying God will bless Israel with are for a, a people, agri agricultural, right? An agrarian people that, that grow crops, you know, and have herds. Um, they're settled in the land. They're not going to be nomadic. Uh, they're not a militaristic community, right? The only blessing for military battle is, is in defense, right? Not on attack. It's for people that are going to sit down and they're going to be there for a while. They're going to plant crops. And he's saying, I will bless you. In it. The, the land itself will cooperate with you to, to yield a harvest, for what you're doing. This is coloring in the promise that he had made 500 years earlier to Abraham. 
Uh, one of the, you can read it's, uh, Genesis chapters like 12 through 18 kind of cover uh, God's promise to Abraham where God chose a, a human to partner with. We talked about this when we talked about covenants where God chooses to partner in relationship with humanity in order for his grandiose purpose to bring us back to the Garden of Eden or push us forward to the new heaven and the new earth to bring us to our original design. This is what it says in Genesis uh, chapter 12 as a representative uh, promise that God made to Abraham that's now being fulfilled through this people Israel. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, that's Abraham's name before he changed it, same guy, go from your country, your people, and your father, father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We had this man who was living in a faraway country and God says, you come with me. I'm going to show you a land. And he says, this land right here, I will make you into a great nation in this land. You'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing to everyone. Those who oppose you, I will also oppose, right? Those that curse you, I will also curse you. We see here in Deuteronomy 28, the people are coming back to that exact same spot of land. These are the direct descendants of Abraham and God's saying, okay, now we're here. I made this promise 500 years ago. We're going to fulfill it. And, and, and what, what does it take to become a great nation? Well, you need to have kids, right? You need to flourish. You need to have enough crops. You need to be able to eat and expand. And God's saying the land is going to work with you, and you will be made into a great nation. This is God's promise of blessing, not simply whatever the Israelites wanted. This is what God has always intended, what he has always wanted. And, and not just from Abraham. We're talking from the beginning of time. I love going back to Genesis chapter 1, well, 1, 2, and 3. I think it explains so much of the rest of the Bible. Here's, here's a part of how it tells the story of how humans were created in Genesis chapter 1. This is the very first page of the Bible. I think it's like the second page because it's on the back of the Bibles that we've got printed. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is important because this is what God has in mind for the design of humanity. He says, I will create you in this paradise, right, that has all this potential to support life. He had just finished creating the world. And he says, okay, now you multiply, be fruitful, and then you will be my regents, right? You, you will rule this place, and you have to do it according to my character and justice and love, and I commissioned you guys to rule the earth. That's always been his design for humanity, and that's what I, I argue he wants to take us to, or back to, or forward to, where that's the purpose for us today. And so when you see in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and he's saying, I'll bless you, and that you might be fruitful, that you might multiply in numbers, that you might increase. That's the kind of blessings that God is blessing the Israelites with. He's promising to give them blessings so that they can be who they're supposed to be. And there's that element, right, of ruling according to God's design. Like in, in verse uh, 9 and 10 there, where he says, uh, then all, this is verse 10, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. The way that you are going to live and administer this blessing, that will show the world who God is through them. So, so they're going to call, be called to rule this, this 
agricultural society in a certain way that demonstrates who God is to the nations. That's always been God's plan. And so these blessings that we see are not blank checks. The Israelites didn't get to submit, you know, hey, actually, could we get, you know, some electronics, you know, because that'd be kind of cool here, you know, or whatever it was, you know, like they didn't get to ask for the things that they wanted. God said, I'm going to bless you according to my plan that's been unfolding long before you were ever here. But I'm going to be faithful to that promise, and we're going to keep doing that. You can expect these things will happen because I've chosen to partner with you. You're my covenant. You will now have this role to demonstrate to the world who I am and also demonstrate what it looks like to be back in the garden, the ideal. So those are the blessings. So for us today, are we going to be blessed by God? I would say absolutely yes, right? Like are our prayers answered? Does God care about us? Will he heal us? Yeah, absolutely yes. But also according to his plan, right? His plan to bring us back into the garden, which is great blessing. There is peace there, right? There is contentment. There's all these spiritual blessings that we talk about. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, there might also be physical blessings. You might experience healing. You might get gifts from God that demonstrate his love. Uh, You might receive money in some way, whether it's from a promotion or something else, but it's not for you to simply use however you want. Rather, it would be for you to use according to God's purpose and plan. So God will bless us uh, according to his plan, because we see that's how he's worked all throughout the Bible, is that he will provide the tools and the means necessary so that we can fulfill the purpose that he has for us and that he has for humanity. That's the first 14 verses of this chapter. Uh, The rest of the chapter goes on and on and on. There's 68 verses. Uh, If you were to read them all, there's 14 that talk about these blessings, and then there's 54 that talk about these curses. And so it's ah, much more curses. Uh, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but it is devastating if you want to read it. I'll give you the summary. So it essentially... The first verse says this, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then it's essentially the exact reverse of the blessings, right? So if you were blessed in the city and blessed in the country, well, you'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. If you're blessed coming in and blessed going out, you'll be cursed coming in and cursed going out. You, You get this first section is an absolute undoing of all the blessings. Instead of rain coming down and crops sprouting up, you have dust storms that are coming down and disease are eating all your crops. You know, there is no blessing. that The land which was going to be so cooperative, if, if, if they choose not to be, if Israel chooses not to be in the covenant, now the land is stubborn, right? It, it's good, it's, it refuses to work. In fact, it's going to oppose, you know, your efforts to build a society, to become a great people in the same land. Uh, Not only that, then there's a whole section about everything you try to do will end in futility, right? You're going to try to grow crops and they're going to fail. You're going to have sons and they're going to grow up, but then they're going to be taken away as prisoners from another country. You're going to marry someone, but then someone else is going to steal her before you're able to enjoy her. You know, it's everything that that you try to, to produce or you try to put work in and effort in, you will have absolute utter frustration and grief involved in it. And then it gets even worse because <laughs> then there's this, this big cruel country that's going to come in. And it's going to put uh, sieges on all your cities and everything that you believed in, everything that you're relying on for your strength is going to be torn down. There's even this vignette uh, that's uncomfortable to read because it talks about your men and your women who are normally so gentle and kind and loving uh, are going to resort to cannibalism, but not just cannibalism, but like a selfish cannibalism where you're going to eat your kids and not share with the rest of your family. It's just utter grotesque horror, you know, that 
that God is saying, these are the curses that are going to come upon you. You know, and then at the very end, it says, uh, you're, you're going to be enslaved in other nations. In fact, you're going to sell yourselves to other nations, but you're going to be so shameful, so cursed, the other nations aren't even going to want you. And that's how it ends. You know, like, huh, okay, we get it. <laughs> like, well, we're in, you know. Uh, it, it's absolutely a punch in the gut. I think the most difficult verse in this entire chapter, though, is verse 63. This is what it says. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you're entering to possess. It will please him to ruin and destroy you. This is uncomfortable, right? Because we, we, we praise God for his love, right? I mean, we literally just took time to pray and thank him for his love. And then you read a chapter in the Bible where it's like, hey, yeah, I, I was pleased to bless you, but look, I'm also going to be pleased to ruin and destroy you. It's like, man, what? Because to me, okay, it kind of sounds like this. Now, again, uh, yep, this is me. I was going to say it's not me, but you know, if you're a parent and your kids just aren't behaving, right? And, and you, you, you've tried kindness, right? You know, please don't. Okay, uh, 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 just pleased uh, this last time. And then it gets to that point, right? Where you're like, look, if you make me come back there, right? Or like, if I have to stop this car on the road, oh my goodness, I swear to you. I, you know, and then you feel, right? Like, I will spank you so hard, you'll land in China or whatever it is. You know, it's like, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, like God's losing it here. You know, it's, you know, because I've experienced it. You know, it's like, I will take away your electronics. I will take away your phone. I'll take away your friends. You're grounded for life. I'm going to ruin you. You know, it's like, you will regret that you are, you are my son. You know, it's like, ugh, that's ugly, right? Like, not, not a good look. You know, and, and when I do that, you kind of are like, ah, sorry, kids. Like, daddy lost his temper there. You know, like, that's, that's not how I should be treating you. And yet, that's what it feels like God is doing, right? Like, he's, he's just really controlling, and he just wants to make sure that these Israelites, uh, look, and if you I, I promise you, I am going to utterly destroy you. You're like, whoa, like, God, just chill out, right? I think, I think there's a couple major differences between that analogy and what's going on here. Uh, for one, that analogy is a response, a real-time response to disobedience, where if my kids are disobeying me and I've tried the, the nice guy, but they aren't getting it, they don't see how serious I am, I've got to raise my voice, power up, and smash them, right? That's not what's, that's not what's happening here. See, this is the, the very beginning part. If you want to see God's response to disobedience, read through the prophets. Uh, you get a vast array of, of emotions from God. There's definitely passion there. There's tremendous patience, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness from God. This is the very beginning. This is more like... Uh, when you start a new job and you have like a full week of HR, you know, and they're like going through the policies and everything, you got to sign the employee handbook, like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do this. And this is the part where it's like, uh, we have certain behavior standards, you know, you've got to, you know, respect people and show up on time and, you know, don't drink when you're with customers or whatever it is, you know, like represent us well. And if you were to be terminated, you will no longer be paid biweekly. You know, the, the, the income that you are relying on to survive, that will be removed from you. you know, your key card will no longer give you access to our facilities. You will not have a phone. Your laptop will be taken from you. You know, like you, you will not be able to drive the company car anymore. You will have to remove the title from your LinkedIn page. You know, no longer will you represent us. Like that's more what this is. 
This is the agreement. And yet we sign that, right? There's all these threats of what might happen. And we say, yep, sounds good. Like that's what's going on here. Israel's like, that makes sense. Yeah, if if we're not going to be fulfilling our role, then yeah, of course we won't have the company car. You know, it's like, I didn't expect this was like a, a permanent gift. It's like, no, as long as I'm employed here, I'll get to receive these benefits. You know, that, that's what this is. It's, it's, it's God saying, here, I have a specific role for you, Israel. You are going to wear my brand to the nations. You will be a brand ambassador. That's verse 10. If you no longer represent my brand, I will take it from you. You will no longer receive the, the free merch, <laughs> you know, and, and, and be able to wear it. In fact, you can't, can't use my name anymore. I will separate myself from you. That's what God's demonstrating, right? Like, where was Israel before God entered into their life? They were in Egypt as a poor nation, a small nation, according to Deuteronomy or the speech. They were oppressed. They were being driven in slavery so much they were crying out to God for mercy from, from anyone. God hadn't showed up in hundreds of years, and so they're just like, this, this can't happen. God's saying, everything you have has been from me from that point. If you don't want me, I'll put you back right? And it says, you'll go back to Egypt. You'll, you'll, you'll want to be slaves again, right? If, if, if you don't want the covenant. So it's essentially like, look, you can work for me and you'll get all these benefits. Absolutely. You can be my partner in this, but if not, I'll set you back. I'll say, see ya. And we can go our separate ways, just like we were before. When it says that God was, it will be pleased to ruin and destroy. Uh, it doesn't mean like a, like a pleasure in, in, in that he'll be entertained, right? Or he'll enjoy it. Uh, but, but rather, this is a, a pleasure that he will be doing what his plan always was, right? Like, like God has a plan for restoring humanity and restoring the whole world. And that plan will be followed, right? And so when they're in the covenant, it pleases him to bless them because yes, this is always the plan. But if they choose not to be in the covenant, then they will be destroyed. And that's always part of the plan, because that is what God wants, and he will covenant in some other way. Uh, we don't know what happened. Well, we do know what happened if you read the rest of the Bible. But God is committed to his plan of restoring humanity, and he hasn't backed out of that plan yet. That's how we can understand these curses. It, it's, it's God saying ahead of time, here's what, here's what we're committing to, and here's what will happen. And I think for some of you, sounds good. Uh, others of you, or perhaps others you're going to talk to, uh, say, yeah, but why is God so harsh? <laughs> you know, like 15 verses of good, 54 verses of utter curses. And the curses are pretty extreme, right? Like if you get fired from a company because you don't show up to work or because you, your performance isn't that great, they don't like hunt you down and make your life miserable, right? I mean, this seems like, like God, I'll, I'll go to your apartment and I'll burn it down, you know? Like I'll make sure no one ever hires you again. You know, it just feels like, why, why doesn't God just, like, kind of leave them alone? You know, like, like, okay, if you don't want to be part of this covenant, you don't like this agreement, great. We'll just agree to go our separate ways, and off we go. Like, there's a version of this question that says something like, why does your God make a heaven and a hell? Right? Like, I, I get if he wants to make a heaven and, and a paradise for everyone wants to be there, but, like, why does he have to make a hell to punish the people who don't want to be there. Why can't he just say, here, here's a heaven for everyone who wants to be with me. Everyone else, just do whatever you want. You know, like, I don't care about you, right? Have you heard, have you heard these kind of questions before? Or you thought them yourself? I mean, these are normal questions and they're pertinent. This is, this is God is bringing this extra destruction, right? Not, not just a, a leave alone, but he's, he's actually going to curse them and, and destroy them. 
this, I mean, this question comes from our sense of uh, like free will, like our liberty, right? And, and so we're essentially saying that God is imposing on us, right? Like, uh, if you don't do this, then I will destroy you. And, and we say, hey, that's wrong. You can't force me to go any way. What, what the appropriate response would be, you can ask me to do something, but you can't tell me I'm going to now destroy you because I don't want to do it. It's like, you have to give me my space. You have to respect my own freedom. Uh, and that's, that's the charge, right, that this question is making against God. It comes from, I think, a really healthy understanding of human rights, you know, like uh, our country, you know, the Declaration of Independence was founded on the fact that all humans have inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Uh, it, it, amazing principles provide excellent ethical, moral foundation, right? Because then if another human were to take my life, were to take my liberty, were to take my pursuit of happiness, we would say, hey, that's wrong. Government needs to step in and prevent that because we have the right to life, the right to liberty, liberty, and the right to pursue happiness. And so we're saying God is stepping over and doing something unethical it is the charge, is how, how we feel. The problem with that, uh, or that line of thinking, is God's not a human, right? Like, even our Declaration of Independence, right? We have certain inalienable rights. Do you remember the next clause, though? It says, endowed to them by their creator, namely life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, our country knows that we don't just have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It was given to us by our creator. He's the one that gives us the life, the liberty, the, the freedom to be able to pursue happiness. If we want God to leave us alone, we are free to find life some other place, <laughs> free to find liberty some other place, free to find happiness some other place, but you won't find it, right? Because only life and liberty is found in God. He's the one who has created everything, the space where we can even have rights. So sure, if, God, if you want God to leave you alone, go find life somewhere else, and all you'll find is death, destruction, frustration, oppression. You know, you'll essentially find the back half, or the back three quarters, the back, back four-fifths of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, the curses, illustrates, describes what life looks like when you're not finding it in God, you're not finding it, period. You're actually finding everything else. Everything's frustrating. Everything's destruction. Everything's being destroyed. There is no life. There is no liberty. There is no happiness. And there's no autonomy to be able to even pursue happiness. So when people say, uh, I just want God to leave me alone, right? Or why, can't, why does your God have to create hell? Why, why can't he just leave us alone? What you're essentially asking for is you're asking for God to bless you without any conditions. Because you want the life, right? You, you want the liberty. You want to be able to do whatever you want and use his life and have him support you and sustain you without him telling you you have to do certain things. And, and that just simply isn't how God acts. You know, like, God has always, throughout the entire Bible, given life to the people that follow him, that's always been his goal. Like even Garden of Eden, right? We're talking Genesis 1. He creates life and he puts humans in it to tend it and to live with them in harmony. But then when they oppose him, he says, ah, now we've got to destroy you, right? And now humans are cursed to death, to, to ultimate and final destruction at the end of their life. All through 
Egypt, right? He chooses his people and he says, you won't be slaves anymore. Pharaoh, you will be destroyed. And that's why the Red Sea, when it comes over the army, is so dramatic. Uh, That's why the plagues are so dramatic. It's showing that God will destroy those that oppose him. And what will he do to those who are his, that he's choosing and that are following him? He will save them. And not just save them, he will make them thrive and flourish. The argument, why, why, does, why does Canaan get the promised land? How is that fair to the other countries that are there? Deuteronomy chapter 9 says, it's not because Israel is anything special. It's not because they're righteous. In fact, it's because the nations that are already in there are opposed to God. And if you're opposed to God, you will be destroyed. So God is using the Israelites to bring his destruction on those that are opposed. And so we say, ah, I just don't like this Old Testament God. You know, like, like, yeah, he loves his people. I get that. But there's also this like nasty side, this destruction side. Like, why is he so intent on destroying things that are opposed to him? Well, read Jesus. He said the same thing, right? John 15, it, it, I don't have it up on the board. One, one, one of the most beloved passages where he's talking to his disciples, tender moment the night before he's crucified and he dies. And he says, uh, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, right? Where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, right? Like this, like this Deuteronomy 28, the, the blessings, right? Fruitful, fruitful. But he says, any branch that does not bear fruit will be torn down and burned. And we just kind of skip over that because like, no, I just really like that comforting, like, man, if I'm with him, I'll bear fruit. No, Jesus said the exact same thing that Deuteronomy 28 says. But if you don't bear fruit, right, if you choose not to remain in me, destruction, that's the only path for you. And ultimately, in, in the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic view into kind of how everything's going to end, the people that are following God get to be with him in this new heaven, new earth, where there's lots of growth and fruit and health. But those that oppose him will be destroyed by eternally being separated from him. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. This is the character of God. He deeply loves and he deeply cares not on merit, but the people that he chooses and the people that are willing to walk with him. He will bless according to this plan. But the people that oppose him or the people that choose not to, he will destroy. And so he doesn't leave people alone or perhaps he does leave people alone and that's what destruction looks like because he's the only place that we have life. It's a lot to think about. You know, and, and maybe, maybe you got lost. Maybe you're still like, cannibals? He said that they were eating each other. You know, like maybe you're just stuck on the passage itself, like what it says. And maybe, maybe this is all we need to hear. God deeply cares about our disobedience, right? Like, like maybe our disobedience, our sin matters more to God than maybe we even allow ourselves to believe. You know, and if we can understand the depth of destruction that our rebellion against God causes and requires then perhaps we'll be more willing to be grateful and praise God for forgiving us of that and seeing what Jesus has done. Because here's, I mean, here's the big thing. On this side of Jesus where we live, those curses aren't over us. I mean, you can't read this, this whole book and not feel like, ah, you know, like, like fear, like shock, like, oh no. You know, like, I hope this isn't me, right? Like, and, you, and you carry that in the back of your head. Well, thank God because of Jesus, his son, we do not have those curses on us anymore, right? Like we have been forgiven, but God still cares, right? Where does this land us? There's a great, cool thought experiment. We, we understand maybe a little bit more about who God is. 
Uh, we see he really cares about our obedience and our disobedience. What do we do with that? Where, where do we take it this morning? Here's, here's what I think. God cares an awful lot what the world thinks of us, right? Uh, now, I, I used to think and probably still think that a mark of maturity is you kind of don't really care what other people think, <laughs> you know, like you, you become more confident. You don't have to just wear the brands that everyone else wears, you know, get the right haircut. Um, but, but I don't mean like God making sure that you're saying the right things and your house is looking picked up enough when you have company over, whatever the things are that we care about. Uh, he has a purpose. That purpose for the nation of Israel is still his purpose. He wants to reveal who he is to the world. He wants to show them who he is. And how he does that is through his specially chosen people. The church carries that exact same role in society. So he, he cares what the world sees about him through us, right? So when we act, what do they see, right? God cares what message is being conveyed by our actions, by our choices, by how we spend our time, by how we spend our money, by the type of uh, conversations that we have, who we choose to spend time with, the topics that we bring up, all sorts of things. It's not it's not simply sharing the gospel, right, in terms of teaching knowledge about who Jesus is. God's saying, no, I want you to be my brand ambassador. I want you to wear my clothes, bear my name, so that your life just in general people can look and they will see that's what it looks like for someone to follow God. And also, that's the kind of life that someone who follows God has. Because God will bless us in order that our message to the world might be more clear. It might demonstrate God's justice, his goodness, his kindness. And so that's where gifts can come in, right? I, I know sometimes I'm hesitant to say, oh, well, this was a gift from God. Like, oh, I got that job. This is a gift from God. It's like, well, I also applied for it. You know, it's like, I, like, I mean, I, I, I put effort into it. But God wants to bless us in order that we might better project who he is in his character. And guess what? God is good. That's part of these blessings that the nations would be like, whoa, how... How are your crops going? We've been praying to our God for like years, and here you are. You've got great God. I said, well, it's because God's actually the one in charge. You know, and so it gives an opportunity to share. No, our God is actually good. He loves us. And God also cares that we follow him, that we're reflecting him, right? And so I think similar to, to brand sponsorship, you know, if we, if we really want to wear his, his clothing, wear his name, uh, we have to reflect his character so that when people see, oh yeah, that's, that's a Christ follower. Oh, that's a church. They would see like, ah, that's, that's good because they're just, right? They rule in the way that God would rule with love, with justice, with goodness, with kindness, with compassion. I think we can expect God to bring us those blessings. And I think we also have to understand that God really cares that we're in line with him, with, with who he says he is and who he wants to say he is to the world. So let's ask ourselves the question, what does the world see when they see us? Right? Your life, just in general, what do they see? What message do they see about God if they know that you're wearing the, the brand of Christ follower? Right? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are we telling? Uh, God cares an awful lot what the world thinks when they look at us because he wants to reveal who he is to the world through us. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads and your hearts with me. Lord, thank you for these tough passages. Um, we thank you for your love. We, we thank you that you want to bless your people. We can see that in Israel. We also see that you really, really want them 
to follow you and to stay attached to you. Uh, Lord, when we read a passage like this, when there's so much of this uh, fury, you know, there's so much of this wrath that, that we come face to face with, I think it causes a lot of us to slow down and to approach you more humbly and to say, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be me. I don't want to oppose you. I don't want to fall into your hands, Lord, where you now feel like you have to ruin us according to your plan. We want to be a part of your plan for the world. We want to participate with you in bringing humanity back to the original design, bringing back the world to a place where it can be fruitful and people can grow and develop. I pray, Lord, that you forgive us for when we fall, fall short. We thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus, and we ask that your spirit would fill us up so that we might be able to obey you, we might be able to reflect you well to the world. May you use us, and may your message be clear through us to the world. We thank you. We love you. We're honored to be a part of your plan, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, well, I have some questions. Uh, this is a great week for questions, though, I think. Uh, there's three questions, and you can pick. We'll do little groups, kind of like we did for the prayer group. Uh, my only rule is you've got to be in a group with someone you didn't come here with. So even if you're best friends, you can still do that, uh, but you can't just, like, be with your family. You can do that at home. Uh, we're going to practice being community. All right, the first one is which brands would you most want to be an ambassador for and why? Uh, sounds like an icebreaker question, but you can go as deep as you want with that, um, honestly. Uh, the second one is the doozy, right? Can a loving God create a hell? Um, feel free to explore if you want to explore um, or say what, what people have said in the past or what answers you feel come short. Uh, talk about if you want. Uh, ask hard questions. Don't be gentle with the questions, but be gentle with the responses, Right? Allow people to explore this, even if we aren't quite sure uh, where we land. Ask, ask good questions to each other and care. Demonstrate the care for each other. And then lastly, what could someone learn about God from how you act? Put it on a personal level. What kind of message are you sharing about who our God is based on how you're living? Uh, so go ahead and take uh, five, six, seven minutes, and I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us at the end.